This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Let's just get on into it this week. We got a Let's hot dig in. book for you. Hot and fresh off the presses. I, published in 1937. <laughs> it's here for you today. Um, we are talking about how to win friends and influence people by Dale Harbison Carnegie. Um Harbison. That's his middle name, and his his last name was originally spelled uh, differently. Carnegie, Carnegie, Carnage with a Y at the end. You could just okay. <laughs> I was gonna say you could just spell it. It's Carnage with a Y at the end, and he changed it because Andrew Carnegie was well known as a steel magnet at the time, right? Um, so yeah, if you have not listened to our podcast before, we are going to tell you about a book I read it. Andrew, I presume you already know how to win friends and influence people because I'm here doing a podcast with you. So, yeah, yeah, I did it. So, okay, so you're just gonna sit there quietly the whole show. I mean, I don't need this advice, so I'm good. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. Um, so you just let me know if I have learned the light, the right lessons from this book, since you're the expert sure. on I this am, episode. Yeah, I don't get super. I don't have really bad social anxiety <laughs> in most situations or anything like that. So I'll yeah. I will be interested to know which ideas from this book sound just like hell to you <laughs> or not. Okay, I don't think there are too many, but some maybe you think you're doing already, maybe not. Um, what do we know about Mr. Harbison Carnegie? I know that he was born in 1888 and he died in 1955. Um, he was born to a poor farmer in Missouri mm-hmm. and went on to become a successful salesman in the early 1900s. But sales was not his passion. His passion, Craig, was to be a public speaker. Yeah. There were these things that they did, and I think they still might do them, but the movement like reached its zenith in in like the late 1800s and early 1900s these things called chautauquas oh yeah the chautauqua Chautauqua lectures lectures. yeah 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 yeah. um and they were it's a way to bring like entertainers or teachers or speakers or preachers to rural america you get them all together and you have like a big old conference basically it's like (laughs) Like some sort of populist christian ted talk conference Mm -hmm. yeah so they they were often uh affiliated with Christianity though the the denomination and the degree to which they were Christian institutions varied from from region to region I Chautauqua imagine yeah. to Chautauqua yeah there there wasn't a uh, like a centralized body that was controlling the the agenda of all of these places so people just kind of did what they with the, what kinda, they wanted with kind of like when but, you um, see people on Facebook posting like here's the photos of the PowerPoint party I threw where I made all my friends prep lectures have you seen those no where it's like you throw <laughs> a, like party, a party you throw a party and it's like okay well you bring 
like 10 minutes on manga and you bring 10 minutes on like black holes or like whatever you want to talk about. Are you jerking my no, chain this right is a now? Real, because this sounds... No, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. Oh, boy. I don't know that it's 10 minutes. It might actually be like five. And it's just supposed to be like get together, share your passions, you know, teach your friends I about stuff. I guess we stuff. did a thing like that at work at some point where people could be like, just like pick something you could talk about for five yeah. minutes and then tell everyone It's a good, it. yeah. Okay, I guess. It's sort of like that, except that... The way you pitched it... <laughs> it sounded with, awful. The, the, your your pitch, which opened with the word PowerPoint, yeah. was bad. And so I'm already feeling like maybe you didn't take the point away from this book it's that you were supposed possible. to. Um, so he... Uh, Carnegie didn't end up actually becoming a Chautauqua lecture, but I think that he wanted to, yes. that this was like his great dream speaks, speaks to his personality and his like desire and approach a little bit. Um, so what he actually did after he quit a sales job was he tried to become an actor. Didn't, couldn't do that. Failed at that mm-hmm. and desperate, a little desperate for money. Um, he started teaching a course at the Y about public speaking and, uh, he did not have enough material for his first course. And so improvising during one of his, I think his first lecture, th- though this, you know, yep. this, this has the, little, the feeling of like an apocryphal, a little bit of myth making going on. Yeah. But apparently he improvised and he asked, he started asking people who were there to talk to like describe something that made them angry. And he found that this method made people a little less nervous and a little more open to speaking in public. And then things took off from there. I have run Um, that exercise. (laughs) I have run the, hey, talk about yourself for two minutes and people like clam up. And then I have run, now talk about something that makes you mad for two minutes and people can't shut up. Because stuff makes people mad. Yeah, and they don't... Stuff makes me well, mad. Nobody... I'm mad right now. Most people are, like, uncomfortable going on about themselves for that long, so they, like... And they don't think about themselves that way, but it's very easy... It's easier, anyway, to think about a thing outside of yourself that just pisses you off. Well, and then sometimes... Sometimes it, people can, like... Like, people will... It'll be like a Seinfeld, like a stand-up. Be like, oh, do you know the deal with, like, people who drive bad? And everyone will be like, yeah... I know the deal with people like that, and it breaks the group up. It's a real icebreaker. Yeah, it builds community through collective mm-hmm. anger. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. So it sounds like he was very successful, Dale Carnegie was. He was a pretty successful guy. Um, so there were a few collections of his of his writings that happened before this. There was one called uh, Public Speaking, a Practical Course for Businessmen. Yep. Two, two words <laughs> in 1926. <laughs> Hello, I am a businessman. The idea of breaking it into two words is hilarious to me. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, that so that was published in twenty six, and I think it was it it was released again with a different title: "Public Speaking and Influencing Men in Business," which is a little weirder somehow. Even Come hang out with these uh, men in nineteen thirty two. But um, this book came about because. A uh, someone someone from Simon and Schuster attended his like fourteen week self improvement or, or public speaking course, the Dale Carnegie course, and said, you know, this would be a good book. And Carnegie was not on board really with the idea initially, but um, they had somebody come and transcribe the courses, 
And then Carnegie read those transcriptions and liked them so much that he ended up editing. I am a genius. Together from that, print it. Wow, I am such a smart boy. <laughs> um, so yeah, published in 1937 and was immediately successful. It sold 250 thousand copies in its first three months, and then uh, went through 17 different printings in its first year. Um, and it was it was on the New York Times bestseller list for a couple of years after yep. that, but it remains reasonably popular there was a uh there was a revision in 1981 so you asked me to to, to uh, research revisions a little bit it looks like this is the only big one yes uh, there was a revision in 1981 that um updated the language and the anecdotes so that's i don't have anything more specific than I, that and then they also removed two sections one on uh business letters and one on improving marital satisfaction, yes. which I do have the bullet points <laughs> from that section if you want to talk about uh, that. I would please because this book is really business heavy and I was okay. not expecting it. I was I was expecting a little more general purpose help. So can you give me the bullet points from the marriage section? This is uh, seven rules for making your home life happier. Great. One, don't nag. <laughs> Just don't do it. Two, don't try to make your partner over because people can't change. Okay. I added that last okay. part. <laughs> um, don't criticize. Yeah, that sounds we'll great. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, give honest appreciation. Okay. Okay. Pay little attentions. Not a little attention, <laughs> but pay, you know, pay little attentions. Uh-huh. Just notice the small yep. things. Be courteous. These are good rules. Sure. Yeah. These are good rules. Number seven, by far my favorite. Read a good book on the sexual side of marriage. I am not qualified to talk about this, Dale Carnegie says. I am, yeah, like, please consult your local library. I don't, did he have recommendations? Like, who's, who does he think is doing good work he on this He probably could have got a, he was an influential, he was an influential author. He probably could have gotten, like, a cut. If he included a, a, a reading list for this mm-hmm. course, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's a missed opportunity. Just trying to think, like maybe he it is, it, he could have done a whole follow up book on yes, you know how did, now that you're good at business, here's how to give people the business. Yo, yeah. So that's my <laughs> idea for a sequel to this. There book. was a I think a sequel sometime in the last 10 years called how to win friends and influence people in the digital age which i think is just the tweet at this it's this book plus blogging i think is really what it get a zanga (laughs) get a live journal update it twice a day um yeah so that's the book you have most of the the same notes that i have um Mm mm-hmm only a, I have one reference to Sinclair Lewis, the Nobel winning satirical writer who did critique it. And the New York Times had also critiqued it. Um, but Lewis says he described Carnegie's methods as teaching people to smile and bob and pretend to be interested in other people's hobbies precisely so that you may screw things out of them. And there is a there is an element to this book that is like, if you want to read it as cynically as possible, it is just about manipulating people. Mm-hmm. If you want to read it as generously as possible, you think about the fact that, like, what is communication but a form of manipulation? And we're all just hurtling through space on this blue orb <laughs> trying to get along. Just trying to get ahead. And I need money for my um, kids and you need money for your kids. So, like, what are we going to do about it? 
So it's it's not as though Carnegie totally invented from whole cloth the sort of self-help genre. Nope. Like there there are books of advice and anecdotes that that go back to antiquity. You know, you've got like the the uh, Ben Franklin's almanacs oh, yeah. and and all kinds of other stuff. That's that that is one could read in an effort to get better at something or or to improve one's skills or you know get get better at stuff um but this is this book is kind of the progenitor of what we would consider the modern self-help movement so if you're thinking about the secret which i am all the time every day <laughs> there's a there's a pretty straight line from that book to this and i i'm not sure where like where you draw that line but it does my the basic rules for it, I think, are like you know, it has to offer advice that's like bite sized and easy to communicate, and then sprinkled in there with a bunch of anecdotes, and it also like puts the onus on you, the person, to do the improving. Yes, of yourself. Yes, and yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think he there's one reference to it. I think where Carnegie calls it an action book or something. It's not well, that. No, but it, it is giving you... I mean, it's not like Superman. <laughs> That's an action book. Batman was in the first self-help book, Action Book Comics, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, he is telling you to go off and do stuff. Like he, It is a call to action to make yourself a better person in a way mm-hmm. that is not just a story that is meant to impart some sort of lesson. And that, that might sure. be one of the primary innovations, if we want to call it that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, going back to Ben Franklin, that's interesting. I think there's also a class thing at play in this book that we'll get into a little bit um, that is uniquely 20th century and beyond that anything earlier than that might not tap into. I feel like, and this is this is just me. I, I didn't research this. This is just me yeah, kind of intuiting things. But this does, there is something about this genre that does feel american yes uniquely american Uh because of the you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps there's nothing there's nobody in your way but yourself yeah if you you get up and you do hard work then yep everything will end up fine you know it's in a land without well in a in a country that without actual royalty clearly Mm. everyone who has money earned all of it and so you need Mm. to learn the lessons that they clearly know so mm-hmm. that you can have all that money too, and that's right. really the only way to measure worth. Um, yeah, by how much by money how much you money have. you have, and how many check how much checks you have coming in the mail. We just reverse and Andrew. The there's secret. a story in this book about a dude who framed a million dollar check on his wall. Like that's what this book is picking up and putting down. Uh oh. I just want you. Why wouldn't you? Wouldn't you need to cash it? Why wouldn't you? You would want to. I think he it, right? wrote it and then like voided it. Just to prove that he could. Oh, write okay. It. All right. So this is like his check from the bank of the universe. It's like the first ever he's framed on his million dollar okay. check or something. This book is wildin'. Um, let's take a quick break, and I'm gonna tell you how to win friends and influence people. Okay. Craig, I like to read so much that I have a book podcast. I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's hard to make the time to read all the stuff that I want to read. Mm. And because we're here in the advertising section of the show, I was wondering if you had anything 
that could help me with this problem. Yes, our sponsor this week, Blinkist, has solved your long list of must-reads, Andrew, once and for all. It is the finally. finally it is the only app that takes thousands of nonfiction books and distills them down into their key concepts and insights for you to read or listen to in 15-minute chunks. You can expand your knowledge and listen anywhere. Andrew, where would you like to listen? Uh, what about at the gym? I bet you can. Where else? Well, if I'm running. You can do it. Just don't get hit by a car. Where else? Okay. Uh, driving in the car. You can do that, too, with Blinkist. Wow. Wherever you, Very flexible. <laughs> wherever you want to go, they got you. Um, they also have uh, best of lists that they curate books from so that you get, you know, you're getting the most powerful ideas in a made-for-mobile format. Um, and because we're talking about Dale Carnegie this week, Warren Buffett, Andrea, you heard of him? Ooh, Warren yeah, Buffet. Warren Buffet. Uh, he cites the Carnegie Method as fundamental to his success. He actually took one of those classes. Um, so if you want to learn about Buffett, you can check out The Snowball, Warren Buffett, and the Business of Life by Alice Schroeder. Blinkist has a series on that. Um, and right now, for a limited time, Andrew, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience, which includes you. Uh, just go to Blinkist.com slash overdue to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash overdue to start your seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash overdue. Craig, my in, I feel like I have friends, mostly. Sure. Like, we just hung out with a bunch we of We did. Them. But I do feel like my influence... <laughs> in the world is at a, is it's ebbing a little bit. Huh. I just feel like I need to I need to up my influence game. Yeah, I don't think that Dale Carnegie knew that we would ever live in a society where the word influencer meant something specific mm-hmm. <laughs> and commercial and social media e cuz the version of this now is like run a niche Instagram about shoelaces <laughs> that has like two thousand fans. Yes, and then and then run advertisements Sh- based on that. Yeah, and so there is um, th- running throughout this book. We'll talk about a bunch of the tips that the book gives, but a lot of what it is asking you to do is a mix of like put yourself in another person's shoes. And do unto others what you'd have them do to you. Like, those are, like, the two key things. I don't know why it's telling you to do that, but also steal people's shoes. Well, if everyone trades shoes, we all have some, right? Like, if you put yourself in my Mm -hmm. shoes and I put yourself in your shoes, we both still have shoes. (laughs) Wait, what? Wait, did I say it wrong? You said bad. You said it bad. You... Anyway, yeah. if we trade shoes, then we both have shoes, and that's the golden rule. Um, this book is about money a lot. Okay. So it, I'm on board so I far. I was a little surprised that the beginning of the book has a section explaining why the book exists okay. called How the Book Was Written and Why. And it talks mm-hmm. a little bit about what you were saying in terms of the genesis of the book, but then it also says that, like, there's been all these surveys done where everyone says their two biggest concerns are health and influencing people. Um, so. <laughs> I could buy the first thing, but <laughs> well, that maps like to big fears, which are like death and public speaking. Like, I guess, yeah, like oh, I'm worried about I'm worried about two things: having cancer and 
making people do what I yeah, want. <laughs> like getting in front of people yeah. and telling jokes. Um, and so he's like, okay, that's why the book exists. And then we do get the like the secrety self helpy like here's how you need to use this book or else it won't work for you. And I I don't think I've read a book that spells that out for you so clearly. Like he spends some pages being like, you must desire to learn. Which is clearly mm-hmm. like if it doesn't work for you, you don't want it enough, which I think we talked a lot about with The Secret. Yeah, I think that that's what that eventually evolves into. And that that's where the self-help movement overlaps with the multi-level marketing, like pyramid scheme yes, movement. Yes. Because a lot of the, the manipulation and the language is the same. Um, so yeah, you you mentioned that the the book is pretty businessy, but the apparently the the first edition, the nineteen thirty seven edition, was even more so. So there's a list of uh, twelve things this book will do for you. Uh huh. Which is uh, I don't I I think so. Are there still twelve in the edition you read, or has it been cut Does down? It say, by I don't four? even know if it says there are twelve things it'll do for you. Um, okay, yeah, it's because what I'm what I'm reading here says that the 1981 edition it omits point six, which is enable you to win new clients and new customers. Uh, seven, which is increase your earning power. Eight, which is make you a better salesman and a better executive. And then eleven, which is make the principles of psychology easy for you to apply in your daily contacts. Okay, so it feels like maybe those might have been removed for like liability <laughs> reasons. <laughs> Yeah, probably. Um, no, the the book is like, hey, it's gonna teach you how to how to handle people. We're gonna give you some techniques to make them like you. Uh, you're gonna learn how to win people over to your way of thinking, and you're gonna learn how to be a leader. Presumably, those first three things like build up to the ladder. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you do have a family and you do have like kids. The book recommends that like, as you're putting this book into action and practicing it, um, that maybe you have your kid put, like you have to put money in a jar for them every time a kid catches you not doing one of the principles of the book, mm-hmm. like some sort of Carnegie swear jar, which is mm-hmm. fun for everyone. <laughs> um, and it does have a couple like big picture like things that I just want to, make sure we have under our belt so like there's lots of historical references and anecdotes like it's like here's a rule here's five famous people who did it here's five people you've never heard of who did it let's talk about the teapot dome scandal for two pages and here's the rule again (laughs) i wish more books (laughs) talked about the teapot dome scandal those sections are like oh this book was written in the 30s huh okay um it does hand wave over like difficult stuff i read a passage to you when we were hanging out yesterday where like Mm -hmm. a guy is is learning to be a public speaker and he's working so hard at speeches and he wants to win speak like speaking contests and he's so bad at it that he's like almost like suicidal like that's literally the word the book uses and then like a sentence later nah but he worked real hard and he's winning all the time and now all these people want to learn from him and just hand waves over that whole thing which is yeah, hand waving is an important component in a lot of these books, and it's particularly dangerous, right? Like it short it shortcuts what might be helpful here, but it also like elides over where you can go wrong. Um, it has a little bit of don't believe the experts, and this gets to that kind of like that's fun class thing that I was mentioning earlier, where it's like 
the Carnegie is arguing that this is a thing that people aren't taught, even though it's clearly the thing that all people want to know. So, like, what's mm-hmm. wrong with our dumb schools that all the teachers have been teaching the wrong stuff? Like, why right. don't we learn what people really want to know? Um, and yet, he'll then use, like, Greek philosophers and ancient Chinese proverbs to, like, back up his points. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird combination of of stuff that i feel like a lot of a lot of self-help books do like they all at least well i say they all but I, my points of reference are like what you've told me about this and the secret sure. so far. but they're two so pretty like, big I, ones knows, right but yeah but it's it's like the secret it, it's something that that is so intuitive that you should have known all yes, along yes um, that's a big part of it that like but it's also a thing that that they don't want you to know yeah because if everyone knew it then they wouldn't have as much as they have it's just self-help books do a really bad job of covering up the kind of the the contradiction at the core of all of them which is if there really were steps that any person could follow to improve their lives and be successful and rich like you'd have that one book and then that would be the the book like yeah. you wouldn't have to that and that's that's been a criticism of the of the self self-help genre when i was researching is that you know people people tend to come back and buy more of this stuff regardless of whether it works for them or mm. not like they they there are a lot of repeat customers and it's just it's I think at a certain point, reading these feels like doing something about your problems. Rather than doing it. Yep. Yeah, but but maybe it's more of a, a placebo thing or a... Uh, so what know, I will say, as we thing, get into the techniques for handling people, which is part one of the book, the the thing that Carnegie does do more so than that like secret sequel we read, <laughs> um, it's not teaching you about a mysterious way the world works. He is attempting to give you insights on human nature and i don't think most of them are off the mark so like you can still walk away from this book with interesting stuff to think about and interesting tools um but it it's worth reading all of them through the context of like yo this was a business public speaking course for business space men um Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) business men so the first uh the first tidbit that he gives you is Criticism is futile because it puts people on the defensive and makes them strive to justify themselves. Okay. I don't think that's incorrect. Well, his first example is a criminal named Two-Gun Crowley who was at a, who was having a, quote, necking party in Long Island <laughs> in a car in, on Long Island. A cop rolled up to check his license, I guess, and he shot the you got your necking license. <laughs> he shot the cop and then shot some other cops. And then right before he was later executed, said, this is what I get for defending myself. And then Carnegie goes on another riff about how Al Capone thought he was a good guy, too. So. that mm, What's the, how does that tie into criticism? Like if you if he, there's a so there's a <laughs> if you hadn't criticized that guy for Having an out-of-date license, none of this would have happened. The, the sort of logical leap he makes is that um, everyone thinks they're the good guy in their story. Everyone thinks they're trying to do their best. 
Uh, so if you're criticizing someone, you risk like having them dig their feet in, uh, like dig their heels in rather than like listen to you, which I don't think you could undo a gangster becoming a gangster that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, he shares an anecdote about how Lincoln criticized a guy in a newspaper and almost had to fight him with broadswords, but then Lincoln didn't. (laughs) <laughs> he didn't have to do and that. And now we can just ask the question, what would Lincoln do? You know, whenever you're mm-hmm. in, almost about to criticize someone, you say, what would Lincoln do? And then you say, well, he wouldn't he fight wouldn't him with broadswords, so that's out. Broadswords. That's right that's out. true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the big picture is like, instead of condemning people, let's try to understand them. Which is, a, uh, again, a prevailing part of this book, and I think... It's good advice on a one-to-one scale, but it does not address like larger problems. Maybe. Well, you're you're already admitting that everybody feels like the good guy, good guy, and so why should they like? Why should they have to be nice to all these other people who are clearly idiots with bad, wrong ideas? Yes, there's a bit of a feedback loop problem. If everyone's doing this, how does it work? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that this all comes from our human desire to be important. Our, our, we all crave a feeling of importance, Andrew. When do you feel important? Mm-hmm. Right now. That's, see, right? We made a whole show. Because you're asking me, you're asking me questions yes. on, on our That's podcast. right. I'm letting you do the talking. Yeah. So like if I, if I don't say something, then the podcast just stops. Right, it just stopped right there. It was really weird. Yeah, see? Man, you're mm-hmm. so important. We're both, I'm, yeah, <laughs> important. I'm important. He says this is what separates us from the animals, Andrew. This is the one thing. Uh-huh. He, my cat, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure my cat wants to, like, he doesn't even want to feel important. He just feels important all the time. The, the anecdote he has for that is that when he was a kid, he and his dad entered some hogs in a, in a hog competition. And the hogs, sure, a hog yeah, off, the hog, gray hog off of Missouri, and the hogs uh, won a bunch of ribbons. And he says the hogs didn't care about the ribbons they had won, but father did. These prizes gave him a feeling of importance. I bet they did. I bet that's mm-hmm. true. How you know the hogs didn't care? That's true. You don't speak hog. A hog wants to feel nice. Get a, get some good press up in the spider yep, webs. That's true. On the World Wide Web. Um. Mm. And I shared this, I shared a passage on our social media uh, about a, about like the, what I think it was Franklin Pierce's wife or no, um, President McKinley's wife who like, Mm -hmm. because she wanted to feel important, she would like act sick to monopolize all of his time. So says Dale Carnegie. He goes on a riff about all of the things we do to feel important, like become president write books, join gangs, build hospitals, rob banks, or go insane. That's not great. No. <clears throat> nobody's doing that for the attention, I don't think. Nope. Like, not for real. He cites some doctor who says people who go insane find an insanity, a feeling of importance that they were unable to achieve in the world of reality. What? That feels like you're just making it. Yeah, up. there's some, which I guess is what the field of psychology <laughs> probably was at in the time, 1937, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Um, 
So that's a, there's like little nuggets of like Dale. What are you talking about? Um, mm-hmm. The next thing after like don't criticize is like be hearty with praise. Like compliment people, make them feel good. Um, you also should phrase things around what other people want. Andrew, do you feel like you do that on a regular basis? Like if you want something, mm-hmm. how do you get someone to give it to you? I just ask I ask him for the thing and then I threaten to <laughs> call the manager or Yeah, and uh, yeah. Okay, cuz Dale Carnegie once went to a hotel where they had booked his ballroom that he had booked and or like they they'd given it to someone else and for him to have it they were going to have to like up his rate by 100%. And he said okay. that was bogus. Um let me write you a list of the pros and cons of you giving me this ballroom. And then because pro and con lists are bad, he they just gave they just were like, Oh, we're sorry. We're That's so sorry. probably what happened, but he thinks it's because the list of advantages and disadvantages from their point of view was so persuasive mm-hmm. that they just had to give him a deal. I'm big I'm big into pro and con lists as a personal tool, but I'm I don't like them as a way to convince someone know, to convince somebody <laughs> of something because it feels like I am obviously pro getting whatever the thing is that I want. <laughs> sure. So it just feels like small scale propaganda. And this stuff he this is one of the sections where he insists it is not manipulative. Like he is constantly couch, like coaching the reader to be like you should be thinking about things from another person's point of view. If you can't do anything else in this book, just think about things from another person's point of view. Which, mm. again, good advice. But then he'll pair it with an anecdote about how a dad who's trying to get his kid not to pee the bed will think about it from his kid's point of view. So he buys his kid fancy pajamas and then takes his kid to the bed store and lets the kid pick out the bed. And says, well, Timmy, you picked the bed. You surely won't pee it, will you? And Timmy's like, nope. And then he never peed wow, it. And really? then he never like, peed the bed that's, again. <laughs> that's the strategy is like, well, if he's got a nice bed, he won't want to pee in it. Well, he, no, it's not just. Or if he, feel, if he, if he feels ownership. Yes, it's that he feels the bed. He has a stake yes, in the bed. it is important to him. Carnegie has thought about that. Um, he then wants you, Andrew, to think about ways... Uh, He's going to give you six ways to make people like you. Okay. And one of the examples, uh, you should think about dogs, I guess, because the greatest winner of friends ever is a dog. I'm So I just should think about just dogs like be, starting just now. now. Just well, like think about how dogs treat humans, how they they just want you. This part fell apart for me because dogs really actually do want things from you. They're not just there to make you mm-hmm. happy. And Carnegie insists that they are. Carnegie insists that all they want to do is make you happy and like run up and mm-hmm. lick you. But I think dogs want to like poop on stuff and chew stuff and run around. Do they want to do that or do they just Oh, do maybe it? they have to do it and they want mm-hmm. you to give them something better to do. That's possible. Mm-hmm. Um the money quote in the second section of the book, and I'm sure you've heard this, Andrew, you can make f- more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. I don't... I guess that makes sense. Yeah. This is the section where it's like, tell people 
like ask them questions, talk about what they find interesting. Um, there's a whole section that's just about smile. The advice for that for chapter two of this part is just smile. Is that so? Is is that part of the? Is that where the smile, even if you don't feel like it, and then eventually you'll feel like it thing comes from? That is what? where that comes from. Um, it op. I guess, and yeah, it's not wrong. I don't. It's think. a yeah. It's a thing where it like you read it and it feels wrong or it feels incomplete, but it also is sort of true based, like just an experience. I don't know. It it mm-hmm. opens with him talking about a lady who had really pretty like beautiful clothes and wonderful jewelry but quote she hadn't done anything whatever about her face it radiated sourness and selfishness Mm -hmm. dale my dude uh but he i mean i i've ever i've ever tried like if i'm having a bad day and I feel myself doing a lot of that stinking thinking, stinking thinking, and just having a hard time mm-hmm. digging myself out of it. I will try smiling or like doing something, and it does. It sometimes helps, but I don't want to be reductive and be like, and, and suggest that if you have serious depression or something, yes. That, well, why aren't you smile? I, I think that's the that's the other edge of that of that argument is just that you are in total control of how you feel and if you fake how you're feeling then that's the way you'll feel like i don't i don't think it's it's a good catch-all thing. no and so there's like one passage which is an interesting catch-22 because he does acknowledge that people are sad sometimes or have pressures on them or are frustrated and he says that one of the reasons that you should just put a smile out into the world is because you never know who's having a hard time so, like, if you're thinking yeah. about things from other people's perspective, you're thinking about how you smiling might help them or might be good mm-hmm. for them. I mean, I do I do try to take that into account in my interactions with people in the service yes. industry. Like, I'm not going to say I've never gotten upset with somebody whose fault something isn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like whatever it is that that's that is happening with you, it's probably you know it's probably not worth making someone else's day suck because yeah, of it. if you if you can control your mood enough to like think about another person's mood, like that is mm-hmm. that is sort of what the advice is getting at. Yeah. Um, this is the 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 thing where he talks about um the section where he talks about calling people by their names. Um, because a person's name is the sweetest, most important sound in any language. <laughs> uh, and he talks about, um, I think he's written like a later book or a pamphlet on like techniques for using people's names better. Uh, I think I saw it on his bibliography, but he his anecdotal like evidence for this is a former chair of the DNC who, uh, who got one of the Roosevelt's elected and his this whole section is just on how he canvassed the country, learning people's names, and like wrote them letters using their names later uh, to remember them and like build a network of people who felt important and would work for him. Yeah, later. and that's basically retailed politics at this point. Though I think I, I think it has come around to another thing where Kamala Harris is emailing me. <laughs> Like three times a day about yes. whatever. It's like, man. Yeah. 
I don't need this right this, now. The, the section, this was a section where I couldn't tell, like, if this paragraph was direct from the 30s or not, because, like, it's it reads as impressive that he's talking about a guy who took a train all over the country and, like, met the between the lines it's like met people in diners or what or like restaurants or whatever and that is just mm -hmm. such a part of our media landscape for what politicians do now that it feels a little old hat to be like oh well he's oh he's so nice he's one one of the people he went and he learned a plumber's name and talked to him um mm -hmm. but it's presented as as like evidence for why you should do that too um sure. there was a there's a nice Every once in a while, there's like a nice little like paragraph that resonates more today than others. And one is like, I think it's the same guy, Jim Farley, is talking to a Greek business owner um, whose name is like longer. It's Nicholas. And I don't remember the guy's last name. Um, but see, I'm failing. I'm not using the tools that Carnegie Man, has given job. me. You should have um, remembered his name. But now he's never going <laughs> to give you what you want from him. But the passage is like, it has a quote from that guy being like, oh, I've lived in this country for 15 years and no one has, you know, said my name correctly or, or no one has tried to say it correctly or something like that. Um, and that's certainly a thing I think about when I'm teaching a lot um, because it's a huge, it is a thing that like face-to-face -face matters a lot to people. I don't know. Mm -hmm. You, We've talked a lot about our names on this show and how important it is we for for people to get them right. Um, or just like don't don't yeah, use a name no, that I don't want to. I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> open that can of worms. Express any preferences because then people will be like, I'm gonna be funny and call to the, do this thing that I know he hates. Yes. That, that'll be hilarious. Um, a couple like he, he goes in a little bit of like oh how you can say I didn't hear you or oh that's an interesting name can you spell it for me like some some interesting things there. Um, I am so awful at remembering people's names. Like I, I need to catch a name multiple times, preferably across a couple of different meeting <laughs> them before I can start remembering everything. I don't, I don't know what it is about me that makes me just so, so terrible at, because I, I know like the, the trick is supposed to be like, use the name. Mm -hmm. Like when you're talking to them or addressing them, and that'll help you not just to help you remember, but also make them feel important because there's no sound in language as sweet as somebody's own name. That's right, Andrew. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I am awful at it. And it was too bad because I worked slash kind of still work in a, in a field where you're meeting all kinds of PR people all the time. And everyone is always like, hey, nice to see you again. And you're like, yeah, you too, sport. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it happens to me with performers that I like see at auditions, but I haven't worked with before. Or so, like, I'll recognize that I saw them, but ooh, I, I have a hard time remembering your name because I actually haven't had a conversation with you. Well, that and that's tough because you're gonna you're running through a lot of yes names and. You don't know if it's going to pay off later for you to re to remember this person's yep. name yet or not. And, you know, Carnegie would say, like, because I never know, I should do the legwork to learn it. I should, like, have a conversation where I say their name three to five times and then, like, run into the bathroom and, like, write it down or, some, or like, type it into my phone so I can, like, mm -hmm. attach it. it. He even talks about, like, 
try to match their name with your mental image of their face, which I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure how you do that unless you just picture someone having a face tattoo. You could do it that way, I suppose. Sure. Um, he does tell a story about a guy who works for GM who goes to the cafeteria every day, and there's a sad cafeteria lady who always skimps on the sandwiches, Andrew. Oh, no. Never, wait, skimps? Like, never. Wait, what is skimp? So this is, a, <laughs> this is an older, like, I don't know how this exactly works. She's making the sandwiches fresh for you in the cafeteria. So she okay. is like a sandwich portioning artist. out the ham and the chips and whatever. And it's always skimpy portions. And so it says you got you she got a light light hand with that yes. ham. And then light ham light hands. Light ham hands. And this guy Ken just wants a big sandwich. So he goes in there and he uses her name. And boy howdy, wouldn't you believe it? She gives him the biggest sandwich and like too many chips. Whoa. And then Twilight. And then the book moves on. Like we never meet those people. (laughs) Like it's just like three paragraphs about how a guy got a bunch of chips because he used somebody's name. That's the secret. Do you want chips? (laughs) Use people's name. (laughs) Um, other tips from this section to be a good conversationalist, ask questions. Um, people will probably remember you as someone who said a bunch of cool stuff but all you did was help them say cool stuff that they found interesting um mm-hmm. if you want to be interesting to people talk about what they treasure Th- so if they're really into the boats that they worked hard to buy make sure mm-hmm. you look up some boat facts to talk to them about uh so you can cl- or just talk, what's the thing that everybody treasures like rubies like gold yeah and rubies and emeralds and- you know, artifacts from lost civilizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like re- that really good, valuable archaeology stuff. Space medals. People always mm-hmm. value space medals. Mm-hmm. Um, moon rocks. Moon rocks. Uh, fossils? Some of them. The good ones. <laughs> None of that stupid, like, spineless troglodyte uh, yeah. <laughs> stuff. I don't want any sea trilobites. Get out of here. Yeah. I want a dinosaur. <laughs> Yeah. Um, The other thing you can do, Andrew, to make people like you instantly is to make them feel important and sincerely. And something you said earlier about customer service reminded me of this section because Dale Carnegie talks about going into the post office and seeing a sad clerk working at the All these people are so sad to have their jobs. And Uh he walks up to this clerk and he goes, man, I wish I had your hair. That's... mm, mm. That sounds, man. I wish I had your hair so I could <laughs> take it away and make a make a, a suit out of your skin. <laughs> like it sounds really, it's not great. But he says that like he gets, and this he he pulls back the curtain a little bit and complains that people are always asking him, Dale. Like, what are you trying to get out of that guy? Like, what are you, what are you trying to, what grift are you running? Basically, what's your, what's angle, your angle, Dale? Dale? And he's like, listen, I'm just trying to make people feel good. You don't think that he's going to go home and talk to his wife about how some guy said his hair looked great? Like, that's going to have ripple effects. I think I mean, what this poor person does not realize is that by the time you are talking to Dale Carnegie about anything, <laughs> you done already been grifted. It's true. You are already his friend and he has influenced you. The yeah, second- look, at, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> Uh, the third section of this book is about winning people's minds. 
Um, some highlights include you can't win arguments, Andrew. Did you know that? Uh, I think that's incorrect. And in this TED talk, I <laughs> will argue with me about it. Um, he he his opening example of that is like pedantry. Like someone makes a quote, set, says it's from the Bible, and you're sitting there at the party being like, duh, idiot, that's from Hamlet. Um, wh- whom does it serve for you to correct that person in that moment? You and everybody else, because they didn't get bad information at the party. Well, I get... Mm. Everybody likes somebody <laughs> who horns into a conversation without being asked to correct them on some minor point. Sure. Everybody loves I it. guess I will point out that, like, save for a couple of the anecdotes about, like, people who bribe their kids with, like, challenge jars and what, you know, pee beds and whatever. Um, <laughs> save for those stories. Most of these interactions that he's describing, because they are business-based or they are, like, upper cl- – they, they feel like socialite, like, gathering-based – where you're always at a like everybody everybody's always at a party with your friends celebrating or well not even your friends or, you're always yeah. at like a work party or you're always at a party of someone you know and there are going to be important powerful people at that party that you don't know cuz i feel like you can get into a shakespeare versus the bible pedantry argument with like your good friends most of the time and like have sure. some fun but he is presuming that you are always at a party where, like, the president could be there. And if the president is, like, quoting Batman and you know that it's Spider-Man, like, you shouldn't say anything. Don't correct the president. That's what he's saying. Um, mm. If you get something wrong, you should admit it. He does say that. A good way to, like, build social currency with people is to admit your mistakes. Especially if you're going to do it as a way to talk about a mistake they made. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Or, or or a mistake that is just like being made by the team um so like say that you have done something like this in the past or you have made a mistake and so clearly that caused this other thing that went wrong make it about you that's one of the few things you should make about yourself is what is the bad things i guess <laughs> self-effacing behavior as a way to make people like yeah yeah um there is one tip i thought this was interesting andrew this is an interesting tip that does feel kind of manipulative when you're starting like a negotiation or a conversation with someone and you want them to agree with you okay open with some statements that get them in the habit of saying yes don't you want to have a good time with this podcast, Andrew? Yes. Don't you want me to tell you all the things about this book that I read? Sure. Then shut up. <laughs> then then you're like, yeah. Okay. Maybe I mean, that'll work. That's what you yeah. want. Get get people to do a couple like yeses. So then when you like drop what you actually want them to do. Yeah, that that feels like a pretty common like political rhetorical thing where you say, "Oh, if if we if you want this thing and you want this thing, then then it naturally follows that this other third thing, which was the thing that the point of the sentence is about, yep. mm-hmm. that you should want this thing mm-hmm, too." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't do too much speech analysis, like political stump speech analysis, even though a lot of that's clearly grounded in similar principles. He does go on a riff about. I think it was Andrew Carnegie. No, it was Rockefeller 
breaking up a strike in Colorado by mm-hmm. complimenting a bunch of striking workers. That's true. That's all That's they want. All it takes. It. Ugh. That's why management can put down any organizing drive by promising a pizza party or just you know <laughs> some trivial thing that makes the, all the workers really want to do is feel seen. They don't need like money or benefits or that stuff. You gross. Yep. Or that's gonna that's gonna affect my bottom line, you know. Yeah, this is a very pro management book overall. Pro pro the man. Well, that's because everybody who's reading it is always at parties where the president <laughs> could be there. Uh, and then the last section is about how to be a good leader, um, which I find this section suspect because it opens with an anecdote about Calvin Coolidge telling a secretary that she's pretty. But her punctuation is bad. As a, as an example of like lead with some praise, and then How give to the note win friends and neg people it's like really bad. Also, was Calvin Coolidge one of the good <laughs> no. ones? I don't think he was. He doesn't spend too much. I mean, he's not he's not Herbert Hoover no. or anything. But like, I don't think he was one of the. I don't think he's in like the top. I don't think he is. He doesn't spend too much time on quote like other than those gang leaders and mobsters that he spent the opening of the book talking about. He doesn't spend too much time on people that you might like think even in the time were like "Mm, they're not so great. He does talk about how a kid in Prussia, I think, wrote a letter to Kaiser Wilhelm when World Mm -hmm. War One was happening and everyone hated the Kaiser. And the mm-hmm. five-year-old kid wrote him a letter saying, Kaiser, I think you're great. And the Kaiser invited him to come visit? I guess if you're hard up for praise, yep. even a five-year-old could win nice the letter heart of the Kaiser. But most of the people we hear about, we hear about great men like Freud and Lincoln. We hear a lot about Lincoln. Um, um Yeah, uh Carnegie wrote yes. a biography of Lincoln, Lincoln the Unknown in 1932. Yes. And then there's another there's another self-help thing he did called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living mm. in um 48. I guess this belongs in the other part of the show <laughs> where we talk about facts. But yeah, I'm not you brought up Lincoln one other time and I'm like, you know, I'm going to remember that he did that and also remember Abraham Lincoln's name. And so if he brings up Lincoln again, I'm going to say Carnegie like Lincoln, and here's some you're, facts that back up my uh, my. Man, you're thing. influencing me right now. This I am great. influencing things. Um, you know, Dickens, H.G. Wells, the Roosevelts, Carnegie, Rockefeller, etc. And then anytime he mentions those guys, he pairs them with like someone from ancient Greece and a postal worker and an army vet and Lincoln again and my mom and me <laughs> and Lincoln. And anyway, I remember smile. Like that's how most of the chapters go. Uh, which I think gets to the the heart of the appeal that we talked about earlier, which is like, here are the here are the techniques that clearly successful, you know, in the eyes of history, objectively successful people have clearly used these techniques. I read all the books about them, so I'm just here to tell you about it. Here are examples of people just like you, Andrew, in Philadelphia, me, that you can use in your day to day to make some more friends and influence some people. Um, yeah. I wasn't interested at all in that thing you were saying until you said my name. Right. And then I was like, well, this guy, this I like the cut of this guy's jib. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's like there's stuff in here that's useful. There's also, I think, some of the relationships. If you're looking for it as a, like, how do I actually make friends? I don't know that this book is there. This book is not how do you have a friendship. This is how to make people, like, listen do to stuff. you and do stuff for you. Well, I guess if you have a relationship where people are doing things for each other, then that can become a friendship instead of being a purely transactional thing. But yeah, sure. It's interesting that the transactionalness is the point. And I and not see because people sometimes say how to make friends and influence yeah. people. And it's not that it's how to win friends. And influence <laughs> it's a people. competition. You're not making you're not making <laughs> That's friends. A good point. You are you are fighting you're out there fighting everybody else to get them it's true and then influence them yeah to your dark ends yes it's true <laughs> and they're like you know he'll toss in anecdotes about like you know a husband who smiles at his wife more and now she doesn't hate him i guess and that's most of the domestic problems that's the same thing as that union stuff is all everybody wants is a little smile a little smile um yeah it's it's a good it's an interesting book. I think I might be hitting the like business manipulative element harder because I want to make sure that comes across to people who haven't read it. Um mm-hmm. I think you can still get good information out of the principles. Like just you don't need to read the 15 anecdotes about yeah. you know people in various jobs across the country who like got some extra chips. Yeah. It's just my, my own personal bias is that I have a really hard time separating the helpful stuff that, that this genre does from the predatory stuff. Sure. Sure. Um, cause I think the, the predatory stuff is really pernicious and, possibly not worth the the price of like getting the number of chips that you want yes at that's true <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> yeah it doesn't it doesn't feel like some of these things go up the chain of power in the same way um it though it does like talk to powerful people about what made them powerful and maybe they'll share some of their power with you is like his thesis i guess um are there any tips andrew that you would give if you were updating this book. If I were updating the guy, I mean, it would be all about social media and stuff. Okay. Because right? I'm an expert on you that. You are. What would you, what evidence would Andrew give? And this can be real, what, what uh, advice? This can be real advice or fake advice. I don't care. <laughs> what would you. <laughs> do you think it's like give me an you give me an example i'm i'm interested in hearing what you have to say oh dang um Mm. tweet write tweets with fill in the blanks so that people can tell you what they wanted you to tweet Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a good one yeah um post facebook photos with holes in them so that they can put their face a lot of fill in the blank is what I'm doing here. Make them all make them all about about them yes. so they can feel important. Or like a photo of me with a sign that says wish you were here. Mm-hmm. My friend. My uh my advice is that pictures always increase engagement. <laughs> so regardless of what you're doing in your life, can you add a picture? <laughs> yeah. Cuz you should. Okay. 
Dale Carnegie didn't know about that. Mm-hmm. He didn't know they hadn't invented cameras <laughs> back <laughs> in the thirties. Thirties. They didn't have cameras or Twitter. It's true. Or any of this stuff. Any of the nobody had any bits and bytes. It was all, you know, just painting on the walls of caves. Yep. How to paint caves and influence tigers. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tiger caves. <sighs> if you, the listener, hey Andrew, what? I'm being Craig? um I'm being generous with my praise. Thanks for listening. To me. For me, for listening yeah. to you, oh, you're you're welcome. Yeah, it's my pleasure. What, was, what was your favorite part of the show? My favorite part was the part where you taught me how to win friends and influence people. Thanks, that's what I treasured most. So now I'm influenced mm-hmm. by you. Yeah, <laughs> God, this, this sucks. Man, can this really stop? doesn't work can if you, both people are doing you, it. Can you just do the? End? I can do the end. <laughs> if you would like to influence us you can email us at overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media twitter.com slash overduepod and facebook.com slash overduepod uh thanks to a bunch of folks who've been reaching out in the past week including holden katie crock brent thomas Brittany, jesse mary kate steph krista anna and anthony andrew if folks want to know more about the show where should they go uh well craig don't don't you want to go to overduepodcast.com yes. and find links links to our apple podcasts and i and google play and rss i feeds? do uh don't you want to leave us a rating or review on itunes to help us rise in those rankings i guess i do yeah cool and then don't you want to go to patreon.com slash overdue pod and give us cash money say it maybe i do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i put it that way <laughs> uh also up on overduepodcast.com we have a new listener page that you can direct people to if you want to know episodes that we're proud of or that we think are the episodes that we treasure you know, showing yeah showing off what this the, the heat that we're bringing mm-hmm. uh so next week February 25th, I'm going to be reading Speaker for the Dead by Orson Scott Card. For people who don't know, this is the direct sequel to the book Ender's Game, which we read back in episode... Um, November 2017, I think. Sure. Um, and as with as with Ender's Game, um, Orson Scott Card holds some views that we don't really truck with, so we don't have a link to buy a new copy of the book if you want to read along we would suggest supporting a local used bookstore or buying used on amazon or, or wherever it is that you buy books yep um and uh reading reading it like that instead so we'll talk more about that next week Yep, we will all right everybody thanks so much for listening and until we influence you next week try to be happy <laughs>